Okay. Um, so as you, as you answer uh, those questions around your table, let me get some feedback, not actually necessarily what the answers were, but what did that drive you into thinking about? <laughs> as it relates to salvation, right? What is it versus how do I do it, right? Or how do I enter into it? What were some, what were some things that you noticed as you talked about these ideas? Anybody? I'll point at your table. Beep, 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 beep. All right. We talked about the difference between how, like, in our culture, you may be safe but not sound, but you can also be sound but not safe. Okay. All right. So she talked about in our culture that there, we have different ways of thinking about safe and sound as it relates to salvation. Okay. Excellent. Trey? Okay. So not just an act, but a process. Excellent. We're getting somewhere. Anybody else want to share? Beep, 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 beep. Yeah. CBR or CPR? CPR. Like a... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Carry on. Okay. Okay. How salvation is similar in the same way where it's just like, but like that car doesn't salvage itself and we can't conduct CPR on ourselves if we're dead. And so therefore, like salvation as an act is not us doing it, but it's it being done on our behalf. Okay. Okay. All right. So try to recap. That was a lot of really good stuff. (laughs) So moving from, so if something is salvaged, right, it can't unsalvage itself. Uh, it is. It needs to be uh, redeemed at some level, right? CPR. We can't perform CPR on itself, right? Somebody needs to be. Somebody has to resuscitate. There was other excellent stuff there. If you were close, because of the air. Stupid air. All right. Good stuff. Anybody else? Maybe one more comment. Maybe a beep over here. How about over here? Okay. It's part of it. Any? You just want to throw that in there? Just there's lots of stuff, but I just want to say what what part of it is. All right. Excellent. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So um, today I want you to uh, kind of uh, push into uh, this idea of salvation as a relationship. And so what we need to be assured of when we're talking about our relationship with the Lord is. You know, what does it look like to have a relationship with him? So the Bible talks about this different ways, but I want to push into this, uh, this aspect of it that you may not um, be as familiar with. So 1 John 5:12, He who has the Son has life. And I want this to be the crux of what we're going to talk about in the genesis of our, our assurance, right? That as we have the right kind of relationship with him and are not... Uh, and, it's, and we're, not, we're not mischaracterizing it or misunderstanding, right, then we have life, right? And that is what we want. <laughs> but he who does not have the Son does not have life. And so this is the idea. Um, anybody know what, the, uh, what Jesus' name means? In, uh, in the Hebrew culture, almost every name uh, means something. Anybody familiar with what Jesus' name is? It's one of the people, it's one of the first things you, you 
here, I was like, I want to say it's the book of Matthew. Yeah, so it declares, right, that God is with us, and they say Emmanuel, they call him that, but that's not his given name. Uh, but that's a, that's a good process. Anybody know? Huh? Exactly, that's right. So Jesus means salvation. Uh, so without getting into the specifics of it, his name is actually, uh, in English, Joshua. And you're like, how does that work? I won't sport bear you. Uh, I'll spare you the details, but just trust me on this. Um, so, so when we're thinking about relationship with him, uh, it's helpful to understand that if we have the Son, we have life, and his name, right, means salvation. So I want you to think about uh, salvation as relationship. So there's a couple of these that we're going to look at, and if you want to take a picture of these, these are some verses I really encourage you to look at. We're going to touch on a few of them, um, but... Uh, somebody grab a, a couple of these real quick. Just grab one, and I'll ask you to read it out loud, okay? So what I want us to anchor in as we move forward about this idea is how much uh, Jesus talks about having relationship with us, and that that, in essence, is the salvation uh, and what that brings, what that relationship brings. It says here in First uh, in, uh, John uh, 5, uh, 5.12, I think we were at, uh, that uh, who ha he who has the Son has life. And so this is kind of reiterating that idea that it's not just found uh, there in First John, but in uh, all over the New Testament. So the first idea we have is this, uh, this need for us to pursue and stay connected to Jesus in the relationship that he's calling us to have. Right? There's lots of ways in which we have relationship with different people in our lives, correct? Good relationships, bad relationships, uh, acquaintances. Uh, and so we need to be uh, aware of the, the type of relationship that he is calling us into because if we don't have that type of relationship, we don't have, uh, we're, not, we're not in his salvation in the way that we think we are. Uh, somebody want to read Luke 14, 27. So we're not going to read all of the ones at the top, but somebody got that one? Luke 14, 27, yeah. Uh, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay. He who does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So there's this idea of pursuit, right, that we have to decide to pursue him. So think about the ways in which G people relate to Jesus. He's so it's something I did one time, right? It's something, some person I've met something that maybe he's given me, but where is the pursuit of said relationship? Um, somebody read uh, Romans 6, 5, and 6. So this, again, in Romans 6 is talking about as we die to sin, right, we are united with him, right? So there's this connection piece, right, that we can, uh, that we need to be aware of. That the, the ways in which we think uh, about uh, about um, who he is and who he is to us uh, is important. So the, some of these other ones you may be more familiar with. Uh, in Matthew 4.19, this is where he calls uh, Peter and Andrew, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right? There's this call to say, to come into a relationship that they don't have. Right? And it's not to like, okay, and then uh, Tuesday, we're good, and see you later, right? It's to follow me continually, right? To come into relationship 
and to have me in relationship. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, this is imitate me as I imitate Christ, or sometimes, uh, sometimes translated, follow me as I follow Christ. All right, the last three, John 17.3, talks about, and this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So it's a really interesting passage because it's not talking about me doing something, but it's me knowing someone. So remember what we talked about in the first uh, John passage. He who has the Son has life. Okay? We have here Jesus saying that this is what eternal life is, to know me, basically to have me in the way uh, that we should. In Matthew 7, he warns about the misunderstanding of being in relationship with him. Right? And he says as the marker is knowing him, that there are some that think Right, that, 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 he, that they're in a relationship with him that they actually aren't. Let's look at that passage real quick. Will somebody open up to Matthew 7, 20 through 23 and read that in a loud, clear voice before the air cuts on. Okay. So again, Jesus wants to make clear at the end of his uh, longer teaching in Matthew, right, that he doesn't want us, the, the, the thing here is he's not trying to make us feel bad. He wants us to not miss it. Right? Because what the insinuation is, is that we can miss, right, characterize the relationship that we actually have with him. And he says, that can happen. And it does happen. And then lastly, right, we have this, uh, uh, the episode with um, the two men that are hanging on either side of Jesus um, at the end of Luke. And there are people who are, uh, people are um, hurling insults at him. And the man uh, who's on one side, one, uh, one thief is telling, you know, if you're the king, you know, save yourself. And the other guy defends him. Right? It says, how can you, uh, you know, what are you saying? This uh, guy has done nothing wrong. And then he recognized who Jesus is. Uh, and somebody, uh, somebody looking at that passage, Matthew 23, I want you to read uh, the question that the thief asks him. If you can read that uh, for us. What is the question that the thief asks him? Okay. And then what does he, what does he then ask him to remember? Hey, remember? That's right. And then what does Jesus then reply? Megan. Okay. So a lot of times we put the emphasis on the paradise part, which is uh, just a, uh, it's talking about a garden, today you'll be with me. But basically the emphasis actually should be, today you'll be with me. Right, that the thief recognized that there was something specific in Jesus that he needed, right, to be in relationship with. Right, remember me and Jesus' response, well, I will, because you're going to be with me. Right, so I want you to see that over and over and over again, that this is not isolated instance, kind of throwaway thing that's confused, that this is really the overwhelming um, testimony of scripture is that God wants to be with us. So in the midst of that, I want to look at three passages uh, in the rest of our time together that are going to unlock uh, some things and bring some clarity to you uh, and to others as you're talking with. And these things need to happen as it relates to our relationship with him. Okay. All right. So let's look at, uh, so let's look at these. So the first thing is that we, uh, conviction uh, needs to come. Now, what is conviction? Conviction is the 
drive to continue. Conviction is the drive to continue forward. Okay. So what as it relates to a conviction for something I've done? An understanding that I am guilty. Okay. So let's look at um, John 16, 8. And so this is in a, another episode of Jesus teaching the disciples um, yeah, for, from 14 through 17. And it says, and, and he, when he comes, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, for many of us, uh, when we, if we've been in church, if we've read scripture, if we've talked to a friend, right, as they were sharing with us uh, pieces of uh, the gospel, uh, what Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us and what that means, right, that, that we, uh, I would, uh, that, that you have felt three things. This is what the Bible is teaching, that the Holy Spirit, when the gospel is preached and our hearts are open to hearing, the Holy Spirit brings conviction, okay? And it's in these three areas. And so I want to uh, kind of uh, push into this a little bit as it, what it relates to each thing. So as it relates to sin, right? That this is that I am a sinner and that I am responsible for my sin. And that God has a right to judge me. These things are very, very important that that is the specific way that I understand it. Um, this is uh, what my testimony would be when I was 14 years old and heard the gospel for the first time. Right, that whatever he was saying <laughs> about who Jesus was and who I was, that that is what I felt. Right, that I felt, right, that I was a sinner and that I am the responsible party for my sin. It's not anybody else's excuse. And that because... I recognized myself as a sinner, that I recognized, uh, right, that I was, uh, needed to take responsibility for that, right, and then that God had the right to judge me because that is who I am, right? That is a, that is a really big uh, and important understanding. The second thing is this idea of righteousness, right, that because I'm a sinner, I'm not right before God, that the relationship that he created me for is not the one that I have with him. Right? And so I am, in his eyes, unrighteous. I am not right before him. I am guilty. And much like uh, Lindell and Brewer and Kitty and, and everyone that was joining in that conversation talked about, is I'm unable to do anything, right, to change that fact. That my, I can't do anything to change my unrighteousness. That in my state, I'm an unreconciled enemy of God. But Jesus was a righteous man. So as I'm understanding, right, that I'm, I lack righteousness, I understand also that Jesus has the requisite righteousness that I need. Right, that he died, right, on the cross and paid the penalty for my sin as an unrighteous man. And the last thing is judgment, conviction of judgment, that I will face certain judgment outside of Jesus, of having the Son, in whatever way that I need to, uh, and we're going to talk about how I need to understand that. But that as I have the Son, I have life, and I'm no longer under judgment. 
So often I've talked about uh, people's uh, stories uh, and I've shared mine and I've heard theirs. Uh, this is a really important piece to that story that that is, has happened to me and I want to give you language, right, as you think about right, what your story is when you've heard the gospel, when somebody has talked to you about, uh, about who Jesus is, what he's done and how I need to respond. But conviction is really, really important. That we have, uh, that the Holy Spirit is acting on us to bring conviction. But conviction is not salvation. And so does anybody have any questions about, uh, about that first passage, about what the Holy Spirit's ministry is to us and why that matters as it relates to our assurance of relationship? Does that make sense? Yes? Thumbs? Okay. So the second thing we need to understand is the idea of sorrow and repentance. That anybody in here been called out for something that they knew they did was wrong? Right? So yesterday we're washing our car for the first time in a while. And uh, we get to the end of it and Renee notices a, a, uh, a mommy uh, scrawled into the side of our minivan uh, incorrectly and in poor uh, penmanship. And so we have three children. Uh, one can read and write well. Uh, one cannot read and, and uh, write at all. And then the middle one uh, reads and writes poorly. And so we could zero in on who the perpetrator was of this particular incident. And so we called our middle child over and mommy, uh, the namesake, scrawled in the car, uh, what is this? <laughs> and her little face, she was like, how can I get out of this? And, and Renee explained that it couldn't be anyone else. <laughs> and then proceeded to ask her, uh, if she could go find what wrote, the, uh, what wrote it. And what it was, if any of you uh, had these when you were little, it's the invisible ink, right, where you write it and then shine a light on it. And so she was like, ooh, I wonder if I can write on the van and mommy will never know. Busted. Clearly, you haven't thought about inventions. That's right. That's right. So, uh, and so uh, Hollis, uh, unbeknownst to her, uh, was, uh, came under some conviction um, and what does this generally bring in our lives? Sometimes it is uh, when somebody calls us out on something, we can be angry, right? But, where does, but what's the difference between us responding in anger versus sorrow? What, what, what do we typically, what's the difference uh, to us? What have you not done when you, uh, when you respond to conviction in anger that you have done when you respond to conviction in sorrow? Say again? Accepted blame. That's right. And so in this passage, um, uh, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. If, you, uh, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes a letter uh, to the church that he has been to and talks to them about all sorts of things that they're struggling with. They're, a very, it's a, they're in a very worldly, uh, corrupt place, and they've got a lot of sin in their lives. And so he writes a letter to them, teaching them and helping them engage with each of those sins. And it's really hard. And so in the second letter to the Corinthians, he talks about, um, that, uh, he talks about that episode of them receiving that letter and then coming under conviction, but then how they responded to that. All of you have responded to, uh, to uh, conviction in different ways. Amen? <laughs> Right, we have lots of examples of both ways. Let's read here. 
Verse 8. So this is Paul speaking. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, 1 Corinthians, I do not regret it. And though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while, I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. And here he's talking about their response then and what that looked like. Verse 11, For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication, right? That I've responded to it, that I've vindicated, I've tried to make right what I did wrong. What indignation about not doing anything. What fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. That he's saying that all that hard teaching and all that terrible stuff that he has to address in 1 Corinthians, what Paul is saying is that the Corinthian church responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and repented, right? And began to live differently. So for us, well, how we need to think about this is that as the Holy Spirit brings conviction and as we take responsibility, that brings sorrow. But sorrow, again, just like conviction, is not salvation. How many times have you felt really, really bad about something you've done and then just waited a while and you thought that you had done something that you hadn't, hadn't done? Right? You never actually said you were sorry to the person that you hurt. Right? You just kind of felt really bad for a while, but then never changed the things that you did. And so this is how we can miss right, entering into the relationship that God wants for us. Right, that we can feel sorrow but not respond to it appropriately. And what Paul's talking about is the only difference between the sorrow that the world brings or the sorrow that the Holy Spirit brings when, right, we respond to the conviction appropriately is repentance. And repentance is simply doing differently, living differently, not just once or feeling bad about what I've done. Right, but changing the trajectory of our life. And so as we come under conviction, there needs to be sorrow and there needs to be repentance. And this, as I've had conversation after conversation over years, this is the most common myth that I see in people. There was a time that I felt really, really bad at a youth event. <laughs> there was a time I felt really, really bad at a service. There was a time that I was under con uh, conviction and was just you know, crying big old tears uh, by myself over something and we think that that then is what, like, well, is this it? No, that, that is the conviction. What is it is then running to Christ, right? And running into relationship with him and running, right, into what he wants for us and learning what that is. So as you're thinking about your own story or the story of people that you talk to, right, this needs to be present, that it's not just okay to feel bad about my sin, that I've got to do something about it, that I've got to go to Jesus, right, and put my sin to death. Our last piece, um, our last scripture is John 6, 67 and 69. It so we need to have the Son. 
And so the last piece is I want to, uh, just with clarity, there's a lot, I mean, we could talk about this uh, for a long time, and I hope to have longer conversations with some of you. Uh, but for this morning, I just want to, to err on the side of clarity and brevity if possible. <laughs> so there must be conviction by the Holy Spirit, there must be sorrow and repentance. And then we must have the Son. One more thing about the sorrow and repentance. The, the, the piece is why sorrow must take place is that when we, when we take responsibility for something that we've done wrong, the natural reaction to that should be deep <laughs> uh, hurt, shame, guilt, right? regret, sorrow. You don't have to cry, but like you should feel bad about your sin. Like, that is very natural. Yeah. We're getting there. All right. So the last, the last uh, scripture, we just got a few more minutes, is John 67 and 69. You have the Son. So in this passage, uh, if you're unfamiliar with John 6, uh, the 5,000 have just been fed. Uh, the people have con- some people have continued to follow Jesus, and he continues to teach them. Uh, but he gives them some harder teaching uh, because he is under the impression, right, that these people are just following him uh, out of convenience. And so he pushes into what it looks like to have relationship with him and who he wants to be to them. And in the saddest verse of the entire Bible, John 6, 66, and said, and many disciples ceased to walk with him. Right, that they didn't have the son. That they chose not that. And in the midst of that, uh, Jesus is not upset, but he turns to those that he's been in relationship with consistently, and he says this. Do you not want to go away too? Are you going to go? See, the disciples had relationship with the Father, the relationship that they were supposed to have, a dependent one on Him, that they saw Him as their Lord and Savior, that He was the one that could uh, change their life, that He asked them to follow Him, right, and they complied, not one time, but continually, right? They're in, they have the Son. And Peter responds like this, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? Many of us, as we think about Jesus, that there are other options in our life, that Jesus may be really important. But he's not the only one that we go to. He's not the only one that we're dependent on. And Peter is answering differently. Right? He says, to whom shall we go? What is he saying there? What is Peter sharing that he understands and knows? Somebody. Say again? There is no one else. In his mind, there's nowhere else to go. I've chosen you. I have you. I don't want anything else. And he says this because you have the words of eternal life. Remember what we talked about? If we have the Son, we have life. This is eternal life to know him. Many will say, Lord, Lord, and he say, depart from me for I don't know you. Right over and over and over again, to have the Son is to have life. All right, so what we're looking for in our, in our own lives, right, is assurance of that relationship. That it's true. 
He follows with this. Verse 69, we have believed. The word here is pisteo, the word for faith that's a little stronger than what we just think it's true. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> we have believed, right? We have trusted, right? We have engaged in relationship with you. And we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's not that word again. That we've come to know. That we've come to be in the relationship that you want us to be with you. As we've made that decision for you. When we trust and engage in our relationship with Jesus, we are treating him as Lord. Sometimes we have this backwards that we are going after him as a savior, right? But we're wishy-washy about the Lord part. That's not what he's asking. That's never been what he's asking. To know him, to have him, is to have him as Lord. And if he is our king, our king saves. Do you understand that? That's a big miss. It was a big miss for me for a long, long time. It's a big miss for a lot of people uh, that uh, come to church. There's a miss for a lot of people that have, that have been doing a lot of Christian things. And those things are good. But if we're doing the good things without having the life, right, and knowing the person that gives that life, then the warning is for us. And so the issue is not, right, is to sit here and to point fingers back and forth about who's in or who's out or any of that stuff. The point is, is I want to know Jesus. <laughs> as I want to have life and as I have him, oh man. The assurance is not, uh, is not putting away my doubt, right? It's enjoying the relationship that I have with him. Right, as I as I am in relationship with my wife, I don't have to worry about the nature of our relationship. She's not, she doesn't live in Kansas. <laughs> I don't see her every once in a while. I'm assured of our relationship because I'm in it and I'm enjoying it. That is where assurance should come from. So to finish up here, give me three minutes. Remember at the beginning I talked to you about being safe and being sound, and here's the difference. Being safe is being out of harm's way, not being lost. Being sound is to be in good condition. Right? Relationship with Jesus is to bring both of those things. So often, for, for lots of different reasons, I think that we misunderstand that I simply need to, I just need Jesus to be safe. That's not what he's asking. <laughs> That's not what he's, ever, what he's ever asked of us. He's inviting us into safety, and he's inviting us into soundness. That is what it means to be in relationship with him. That is what it means to have a life, to be safe and sound. As I want to end here and just spend a little bit of time in prayer, just asking the Father to help us work through this, because this, for some of you, is, is some stuff that you haven't heard before. And so the point, again, is not... Uh, to bring confusion, but to bring clarity. But I want you to have, if you don't have what you think you have, I want you to have it. And if your friends don't have what they think they have, I want them to have it too. Because I'm telling you, as I lived 
not in the correct relationship with the Father, and as I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to testify the abundant life that God offers in relationship with Him. My assurance should not come from a date, a memory, a baptism, or a verse. It should come from knowing Him and that making all the difference in my life day to day. He is no Lord King who makes little difference in my life. It is only the King that can save. So if I want Him for one, He must be both. So as we, uh, as we finish up, uh, just pick somebody around your table just to pray that the Lord would give us some time to process this personally. Because as I own, right, my understanding of, uh, of having assurance in the relationship that I have with Him, right, then that is going to change everything about my life for the better. And that also allows me to give clarity to all those around me that are missing out on, what, on something they think they have for something that they truly, truly need. Okay? So some of you may have questions. We'll have to do those kind of offline. Uh, but we'll keep working through this next week. Uh, we'll push forward a little bit into the, into the holiness aspect of why that's necessary for us. Okay? So kick around. I'll pray for us uh, as we dismiss.